What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 107 of the 2QB Experience Podcast. My name is Greg Smith, and I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. You can find all my work over at 2QBs.com. And we've got a 2QBs.com OG back for uh, another episode here. It's Josh ADHD now of Fantasy Insiders and Roto Grinders. You can follow Josh at Fantasy ADHD on Twitter. Welcome back, Josh. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, it's 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 good to be kind of on the downhill slide here this season, though. As much as I hate to say it, it's just been a really busy 2018, and it's it's kind of nice to see the light at the end of the tunnel because it's I think like everybody else, it's it's time. It'll be good to have a break when the break comes up soon, and you know maybe take a you know a few weeks off and then refresh ourselves and be ready to dive back in for 2019. Yeah, this is a, an interesting time of year because we're still super excited about the NFL playoffs and maybe some playoff DFS and just our own teams maybe still you know fighting for a Super Bowl opportunity. But I mean, my, my team's not in that discussion, the 49ers, but uh, I'm still very excited to watch these playoff matchups and the Week 17 matchups. And with that in mind, this isn't a great week for seasonal uh, fantasy. If you are in a seasonal league that plays in Week 17, I said this on the last episode, you're doing it wrong. Uh, you should probably wrap up your seasonal leagues by week 16 at the very latest. So on that axis, I wanted to shift the show's focus more towards daily fantasy. And specifically, I wanted to have Josh on to talk about the quarterback position on the DraftKings main slate for week 17. So we're looking at a, a very big slate here, 15 games, because there's only one late game and there are no Thursday night games. We get all the quarterbacks except the ones that are going to show up in Indianapolis versus Tennessee. And I, I don't know, Josh, do, do you have any kind of Big picture takeaways before we dive into the DFS stuff about you know the season thus far or DFS in general. Yeah, I mean, probably my biggest takeaway is that at least from a DraftKings perspective, pricing was very strange for quarterbacks on DraftKings for most of the season. You know, they they kind of pr- priced all the quarterbacks in a very tight range. It's almost like they were saying quarterback doesn't matter on DraftKings. And, you know, that's good and bad. It's good in that it, it, it gives you the opportunity to build some very flexible rosters with very, very different quarterback construction. But on the flip side, it's bad because if you, you know, if you selected a quarterback in a price tier that didn't score, you know, four to four and a half X in a given week, you were toast. I mean, you had a very long shot of trying to win money that week. So I, I think <clears> – <throat> For the most part, DraftKings threw a lot of folks for a loop for probably the first four to six weeks until everyone's sort of settled in on pricing and figured it out. And then, you know, late in the season, they changed their pricing again. Now they've actually started pricing some quarterbacks up. They've got, you know, at least this week, they've got two quarterbacks above 7K that, you know, these guys were priced in the mid sixes. It may be the upper sixes throughout most of the season. So they've kind of spread out quarterback pricing again. Uh, similar to what they would have done in, in 16 and 17. And it, I think it may lead to some narrow roster constructions depending on what we think are the best matchups this week. So, you know, we're going to dive into that and talk about that and kind of chew it up and spit it out and see where we are. Yeah, I'm excited to hash through it with you. And the, the other complication of Week 17 is just the playoff picture, right? Some teams have nothing to play for at this point. Other teams have everything to play for. And a handful of teams are kind of in between, uh, like the Bears, uh, maybe the Rams to some extent. These are the teams that are likely going to be scoreboard watching as they play to see if they can start resting their guys uh, for the playoffs. So we have to keep that in mind at all times. Some of these matchups and some of these players are going to gain or lose appeal based upon you know those motivations that are associated with Week 17 fantasy, or, or just Week 17 regular football, I should say. Uh, but before we get to the players themselves, Josh, big picture, 
without naming any specific guys or specific matchups from this week, give me two or three general attributes or angles that you like to target with your quarterbacks in daily fantasy. Yeah, so generally I look for a quarterback that will need to throw. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the best matchup. Maybe it, it's not going to be the highest total game on the board. It, in my opinion, I try to assess each game, each matchup differently than maybe what Vegas does or what the general public does and determine what the probability is that that quarterback will need to throw 30 passes, 35 passes, potentially 40 passes or 45. And if I feel like a quarterback has a very high probability of throwing 35 to 40 passes, I kind of, you know, I separate him and I put him in a good pile. And if I think there's a high probability that a quarterback is not going to throw that many passes, maybe he only needs to throw 25 passes in his game, then I'm, I'm probably going to exclude him unless I feel there's an opportunity for uh, outlier type efficiency that would get a quarterback to, you know, four or four and a half X scoring on such low volume. So that's, that's a main thing I look for. I do look for motivation, especially on a week like this. And we'll cover that when we get into the individual matchups. Uh, and, and then probably the last thing is I, I don't care too much about the defense that a quarterback is going against unless it is an outlier type defense. And, you know, this season we would say outlier type defense is Baltimore and Chicago. Otherwise, I don't really care who a quarterback is playing. The matchup doesn't bother me. In some cases, I will play a quarterback in a bad matchup or what is perceived as a bad matchup because the volume will be there, because the quarterback is there, because it, it's a good offense and it really doesn't matter from a defensive from a defensive standpoint who they're going against. So it's I think that the most important takeaway, if I if I put all three of those together, is to make your own assessment of the matchups and kind of put together the game script that you think is the most likely to happen and ride with that. Yeah, like you, I definitely want to see big volume or I want to be able to project big volume, which means I need to care about the offensive philosophy of that quarterback's team and the pace of play for that team that we can expect because, you know, more volume equates to more opportunity for, you know, the positive variance that we can experience with touchdown passes. If a quarterback throws more times, he has a higher likelihood of throwing three touchdowns. And typically it's touchdowns that'll separate you with those outlier type weeks. I also want, you know, just the cheapest price tag possible from the quarterback position. Like you said, quarterback scoring reflects or quarterback scoring is relatively flat and that's reflected in the pricing at DraftKings. And so, Maybe that matters less in week 17 where more fringy type players might produce, but I think that is something we need to look for because the cheaper price tags unlock higher price plays at other positions. And specifically, I'm thinking about running back and sometimes tight end. And lastly, I, I do want value, but I, I want the best play. And sometimes the best play is an expensive guy. And, and this can be applied to any position. And sometimes that means paying up at quarterback and, and more so in GPPs either to find lower-owned players or to enable the best possible correlation with your other plays. How do you kind of grapple with that, you know, the best plays versus the best values, Josh? Yeah, typically I will almost always side with the best value. And that's because we mentioned the flat scoring at quarterback. Like it, it, at, There's a point where the point total doesn't matter all that much. Like it, it could be anywhere from 24, it could be 20, like 20 to 28, as long as you get the value at the position, I think you can accept any of the scores in that range and, you know, make your hay at another position. Like you said, you pay up at running back, you pay up at tight end. You're paying for a, you know, like a, a game changing differential at that position versus what you might get at quarterback. Because 
you know, by and large, quarterback is, I'd say it's relatively capped for ceiling, except in very rare circumstances. And we saw a couple of those last week. Uh, one of those was Nick Foles. The other was, I believe, maybe Ben Roethlisberger. Guys just put up, you know, stratospheric numbers. Yeah, Rodgers, too. And, and Aaron Rodgers as well. And, you know, I would say, by and large, that doesn't happen all the time anymore. It's, um, you know, you get guys that put up good numbers, but you know, you don't have quarterbacks, you know, throwing up 40s on DraftKings anymore. Like, you, if you get quarterback that's above 30, you're doing really good. And I think it, and you would take that any week. You wouldn't be upset with that choice at quarterback. So, you know, I don't see it being like so, so much as a value versus best play proposition. I, my opinion is you take the cheapest player that you feel gives you the best probability of getting to 25 or 30 DraftKings points and you move on and try to build the rest of your roster as optimized as possible. Yeah, and I guess that's what I was trying to say with the best plays. I, I want the quarterback that unlocks the best lineup, and sometimes I think that means paying up a little bit more than we might like. But in general, I, I really like that point you made about how those big weeks tend to be more outliery than normal in 2018, and that's especially going to be true in Week 17 of any season because if a team is really crushing their opponent that badly, chances are they're either going to start to lean on the run at some point or they're just going to pull that starter and put in the backup. And, and I think that this week is where you're going to see a lot more of that happen because it's basically like a, an end-of-season preseason game for some of these squads they need to get a look at some of their players. Like we've already seen the Tampa Bay Buccaneers talk about getting Ryan Griffin some snaps. And it's like, that doesn't really help Jameis Winston. That doesn't really help us as DFS players, but that is something that we can monitor. And that sort of risk associated with Winston can be applied to other quarterbacks on the slate. So let's dive into the players, Josh. And I just want to reiterate that we're talking about pricing from DraftKings 15 game slate. uh, And that means no Andrew Luck, Marcus Mariota or Blaine Gabbert just because we're throwing those guys out for the larger discussion Josh do you have any quick thoughts on those quarterbacks for showdown or any other short slate formats where they actually are involved yeah so for those two quarterbacks you know obviously they're both fighting for a playoff spot they're both massively motivated uh I I have some reservations about using Marcus Mariota I think he's a good contrarian play because most of the field will look at him and say that he is uh, very capped for a ceiling and that he's playing against a defense that tends to keep quarterbacks and passing games in check because of how they you know, kind of constrain the passing offense to within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage, and you have to dink and dunk your way against Indianapolis. So you know, I, I think Mariota is going to be a good contrarian play. I, I don't think he'll be that popular. Andrew Luck is Andrew Luck. You know, you're, we're, we're talking about a quarterback that is likely to throw the ball 35 to 40 times. And if he gets that kind of healthy volume in a competitive game, I think he, you know, his his sky is kind of the limit. Like he could he could put up 40 DraftKings points. He could also put up 15 DraftKings points if you want to look at it that way because of Tennessee's relatively good defense. So uh, for showdown, I think you definitely have to play Andrew Luck. I think you have to make a decision whether you want to play Marcus Mariota or you want to play ancillary parts around him that would give you enough access to the passing game where it's like having Marcus Mariota in your lineup. Yeah, and what about if Mariota is ruled out? Would you consider Blaine Gabbert kind of along that same axis? Absolutely, yeah. I, I, in fact, depending on uh, Blaine Gabbert's price, I think he, Gabbert may end up being a must-play in, in a showdown slate just because of the value he would he would offer. And I'm guessing he would probably be in the neighborhood of 8,500 instead of Marcus Mariota, who'd probably be in the neighborhood of 10 or 10.5. You know, if if Gabbert is around 8,500 bucks, I think you have to play him. 
Otherwise, if you want to fade Gabbard, I think you have to look at the parts around him and think about the game script that's going to give you the best the best access to his productivity without using him. Good stuff. Well, let's talk about the main slate. And we're going to start at the top. We're going to work our way down the pricing at quarterback. And up top, we have Patrick Mahomes at 7,100 versus Oakland. Ben Roethlisberger at 7,000 versus Cincinnati. And these are two of the week's more motivated quarterbacks uh, in two of the league's best offenses. But can we pay these sorts of premiums on Mahomes and Roethlisberger with so many other solid options at lower prices? I think you can. I think that's this is probably going to be the best situation to pay up at quarterback because we'll have access to so many cheaper wide receivers and running backs that you know you can use these quarterbacks in your lineup and have a very good roster construction. Otherwise, you know you'll get a lot of volume at running back uh, on the cheap this week as well as wide receiver. So I I like the idea of using these quarterbacks, especially Mahomes. I mean Mahomes has a lot to play for. He he's going for the passing title for passing yardage. Uh, I think if things break right he has a potential shot at getting to 50 touchdowns and that would be significant so i mean they're trying to get this kid the mvp so i I think all signs point toward playing him i think it's a good idea to play him in your in your dfs lineups this weekend because all of the surrounding mitigating circumstances and ben roethlisberger i i i don't see any reason not to play him he's in he has a cream puff matchup you know, Cincinnati's defense has been very bad. They, you know, Ben's playing at home where traditionally he's been a much better passer, and they got to win. Bottom line is they got to win. So, they, I mean, they got to go out and put as many points on the board as possible. And I, I don't know if they're going to have James Conner back this week or not. I don't know if that really plays all of that much of a factor into whether you use Roethlisberger or not. But both of these guys, even though they're the highest price, I think they are probably going to end up being two of the most highest-owned quarterbacks on the on the slate. Yeah, you stole basically all my notes on Mahomes. I think he's fine. I think he's worth it, like you said, because you can get cheap enough plays at other positions relatively easily. The Chiefs need to win, and there is that narrative incentive for Kansas City to build up Mahomes as this, you know, this breakout legacy of someone who's chasing records, winning the MVP in his first year as a starter. I think that that makes a lot of sense. My big question with Roethlisberger is how much production Pittsburgh even needs to beat Cincy, because on top of the Bengals' existing issues with injuries, they're likely now going to be without Tyler Boyd, and we know their defense is trash, so I think this might be a better spot for the Pittsburgh running game. I mean, even that, like you said, could be a pain to properly forecast because James Conner might be returning, uh, and even if he does play, like, is he going to get regularly spelled by Jalen Samuels? We don't really know, so I, I think with those question marks around the Pittsburgh running game. I think it's still okay to use Roethlisberger, but I think there is a a game flow situation where they get up so big so fast through the running game that he doesn't end up scoring that many points before they pull him for you know Mason Rudolph or Josh Dobbs or whoever. But I, I think he's he's a fine candidate to consider. And with that in mind, if you wanted to chase correlation with Roethlisberger, who's your preferred stack with him? Um, both on the Pittsburgh side and maybe even in a game stack with Cincinnati players. Yeah, I think it for this week a game stack. I'm not touching anybody for Cincinnati. I, I just uh, that offense is it's really bad just because they have so many backups playing, and I think for the most part a lot of their guys have checked out. That I don't have any interest in any Cincinnati players. I might, and I'm thinking about this. I might take a shot on Joe Mixon, but I'm not sure how much they're going to give Joe Mixon the ball. So. So far as running it back, I don't think I'd run it back. I think if anything, I would probably just use uh, I would use Roethlisberger probably with 
if I wanted to do a game stack, I'd probably run it with both wide receivers, with Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown. Otherwise, I think, you know, using uh, Roethlisberger naked with no other players and just have him be the only Pittsburgh player on your roster, I think that's fine. Yeah, especially because of how much they will troll us with Jesse James touchdowns and Eli Rogers passes and things like that. They're they're one of those teams that does like to spread it around to some extent. Yeah, and, and this might be the week to just run with a naked, naked Roethlisberger because if we don't think that Cincinnati's going to put up much of a defense and we feel like Roethlisberger is going to have a very efficient and tidy 30 attempts, how much of that is there to go around to the passing options? And at this point, you're kind of gambling and guessing, saying, well, I think it's going to be Juju. Well, I think it's going to be Antonio Brown. And it's um, I think there's higher risk there trying to force a, a, a team stack than there is just playing the quarterback and looking elsewhere for your receiving options. Yeah, that's a good call. Now let's jump down to the next tier of QBs. It's a pretty significant drop uh, down to 6,600 to get to Deshaun Watson against the Jaguars. At 6,500, we have Drew Brees versus Carolina, but we have to assume that Bridgewater is going to play more than Drew Brees this week, right? I would think so based on you know where the where the Saints are in the standings. And I had to do a really quick check. So they're 13-2. and two. They've locked up more or less a bye. They've locked up the one seed. They're they're confirmed as that because they they own the tiebreaker over the Rams. That's right. They own tiebreaker over the Rams, um, and the Bears cannot catch them. So you're right. So they've locked up a bye. I I think I kind of agree with that. Unless we are of the opinion that New Orleans needs to work on their offense a bit in game and kind of you know clean things up and get it tuned up a little bit, then you know maybe do they play the offense a little bit more than normal? They've looked rough the last month. I don't think anybody would would say otherwise. They just they they look out of rhythm, and you know I think there is a better than zero probability that their starters play the entire game in, in an attempt to tidy things up. But at the same time, I think you're right that it, we might see a lot of Bridgewater here because of the buy. We may see 100% Bridgewater here unless there's um you know compelling reason to start Breeze, and I think there probably is. So I I think I avoid this situation altogether with with uh, New Orleans. Yeah, I think any need they have for tuning up the offense can be taken care of during the bye week and during you know this week of practice without putting those players into the game. I, I think the one exception for me might be Ted Ginn Jr., who's just coming back from injury. Maybe they want to get his sea legs under him a little bit better. Uh, but I, I think Breeze is unplayable. I think if you're going to start any quarterback on the Saints, it's got to be Bridgewater. Um, and beyond 6,500 uh, with Breeze, we have Phillip Rivers at 6,400. So Let's just consider those uh, two options, Deshaun Watson at 66 and Rivers at 64. Jacksonville's defense isn't what it once was. Should we be afraid of Deshaun Watson against them? Because the Jaguars only rank 22nd in Justin sack rate, but that still might be good enough against Houston's terrible offensive line. What, what do you think about this matchup? I, I love the matchup, and I think that you know Watson's certainly a player I would look at playing. Uh, you know, Houston is still one of the one of the worst teams in the league so far as allowing pressure on the quarterback, but it's just the that's just the environment that Deshaun Watson operates in. He's, I'd say he he was born in pressure, he was molded by it, and it doesn't bother me so much that his line allows a lot of pressure because that's just how, that's just the environment that they operate in. So I like Watson a lot this week. I don't think Jacksonville scares me. I feel like. The Jaguars have checked out as well. Uh, you know, they do get to play the Jaguars at home. That's to me, that's a positive. And I, I just I like the matchup. The Texans have a lot to play for. They're playing for a bye. 
Yeah, my my concerns with Watson are less about the matchup and more about his lack of weapons because Demarius Thomas is now out for the year, which elevates DeAndre Carter and Vincent with a Y Smith, a good good last name there, to prominent roles in the Texans offense. So I don't know. I'm a little worried about those wide receiver cores. He still has DeAndre Hopkins, so maybe that's just the cure-all elixir here. But I do think that based upon that lack of wide receiver depth, this could be a good week to sprinkle in some Jordan Thomas and Ryan Griffin into some uh, GPP lineups, kind of hoping for a tight end touchdown. What do you think about the receiving options there in Houston? Yeah, for me, I, I I don't look at the receiving options in Houston outside of Nuke Hopkins. It, to me, it's just it's it's him or bust. If you're not going to use Nuke Hopkins, then you might as well find another offense for a receiver. So with that in mind, do you think it's safer just to play Nuke and to leave Watson out of your lineup and just go cheaper at QB? Uh, yeah, I certainly think that's a viable option. And the other option is to stack Watson with Nuke Hopkins and uh, just roll with that. But I, you know, I certainly think it's I think it's always fine to put Hopkins in your lineup and use that as your access to Deshaun Watson, especially since he's running less later this season and find a quarterback elsewhere. And we're going to talk about a lot of guys that are going to be good options over Watson. Yeah, and I, I brought that up because I, in general, think that the prices in this you know sixty six to sixty four hundred range are, are a little too high. I think Rivers at Denver at sixty four is is a little too pricey as well. Do you agree with that assessment? Do you think we should dig a little deeper for our preferred quarterback plays? No, I think actually think Rivers is in a pretty good spot uh, because again, they're also playing for a buy potentially. And I, you know, since they, they split the head to head with the chiefs, you know, I, if there's a possibility that if the chiefs lose to the Raiders and the chargers win, then, you know, the, it, guess what? They end up winning the AFC West and they get the buy. So, you know, I, they're going to come out guns blazing in my opinion. And I, I really like Rivers this week at Denver. You know, Denver's pass defense isn't nearly as good as it was early in the season. So I, I really like this spot for him. You realize you said if the Chiefs lose to Oakland, right? Oh, I totally <laughs> said that. I'm sorry. I'm busting on you. I mean, I think that's the reason why I'm worried about Phillip Rivers and why I'm worried about the Chargers in general is that I, I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion that Kansas City isn't going to lose. And so I don't know. I, I mean, I know that the Chargers do have something to play for. I just wonder how realistic or unrealistic they're going to be about their chances when they're kind of building up their own personal motivations for that game. So I I personally would dig deeper than Rivers. I think that there are more better values deeper at the position. Um, So uh, let's just keep going and maybe we can figure that out. Uh, At 6,300, we have Matt Ryan on the road at Tampa and Aaron Rodgers home for the Lions. And at 6,200, we have Jared Goff home for the 49ers. And I think this is an interesting salary zone here with proven guys in good spots. They're priced below the most expensive QBs, but they're still priced above the kind of last group of reliable producers at quarterback. So I feel like this is where you can start to differentiate maybe on projected ownership price-wise. But with that said, Aaron Rodgers is likely still going to be chalk, one, based upon the name brand, and two, based upon recency bias like we talked about earlier he went nuclear in week 16 so i think that maybe picking the right green bay receiver might be a better avenue to rogers exposure if you're worried about his ownership but maybe you're not um what what do you think about these three guys do you think that this is a zone where we can start to get excited about these players or i don't know like Talk, talk me through your process with Ryan, Rogers, and Goff relative to the other QBs we've talked about, relative to you know lower-priced options that we have coming up. 
Yeah, so Matt Ryan to me is he's probably going to be one of the lowest owned quarterbacks on the slate just because at this point Atlanta's not a very sexy name. And I I don't know it's just people don't think about Matt Ryan, even though they are playing Tampa Bay. You know, I really like Matt Ryan this week. I think he's in a very good spot. You know, granted Atlanta has nothing to play for, but they they do have I think some sights on getting Julio Jones as much yardage as possible, maybe even getting him the yardage title at wide receiver. So I mean I think offensively they have some things to play for that make Matt Ryan interesting. Uh, Aaron Rodgers on the other hand, I have zero interest in Aaron Rodgers this week. Um, you know I, I think as a tournament play he's probably okay, but he's not playing the Jets this week. He's playing the Detroit Lions, and he's playing outdoors and. I think there there's some just surrounding factors here that I think Aaron Rodgers is not a good play this week. Now, would I want to play Devontae Adams? Yeah, sure. I'll play Devontae Adams every single week if you give me an opportunity. That's enough exposure for me to Aaron Rodgers that I, I'm fine with, you know, fading Aaron Rodgers and just taking Devontae Adams in my lineup or even, you know, potentially Jamal Williams as a if I think he's going to get five or six or seven targets and consider that enough exposure to the passing game for Green Bay and move on. Uh, Matt Ryan, I, I'll mention him again. If I play Matt Ryan, I'm definitely stacking him with Julio Jones. I might stack him also with Calvin Ridley and get the three of those guys in the lineup. I might also put Austin Hooper in some lineups with Matt Ryan uh, and, and maybe run a potential onslaught here. I don't know if this game is necessarily going to be high scoring, but if I if I want to be very contrarian, then I might look at an Atlanta stack this week as as a team that could go off unexpectedly. And then lastly, you know, you mentioned Jared Goff. Uh, the problem with Jared Goff this week is that there's two very stark scenarios for the Rams. And the first scenario is they have something to play for. So if we find out that the Bears, if the Bears lose or if they tie with Minnesota, then the Rams have the two seed, right? Yep. And I think they wrap up the two seed by record, so they have nothing to play for. If the Bears win their game and go to 12 and four, then the Rams have to win their game to achieve a buy because Bears own head to head against the Rams. So if we think about it from that perspective, if the Rams have to go out and just put the gas pedal down to the floor against the against the Cardinals, then, yeah, I think golf is a great play this week or not the Cardinals. Sorry, against the, the 49ers. I think golf is a great play this week. San Francisco doesn't have the best pass defense. I think it's a. An avenue where the the Rams could have the most success is just by throwing the ball around all week. So, you know, I, I think if you're looking to do potentially a late swap this week and you have the salary to go to a golf for differentiation, I think he's a great play. Yeah, I I love golf this week actually. I I think that the Rams and the Bears play at the same time, and with that in mind, they won't necessarily know right away whether or not they can you know, lean back and be comfortable or whether or not they have to go out there and chuck it. And like you said, the 49ers are much easier to pass on than they are to run on. And so with that in mind, I think that it's pretty safe to trust Goff this week. I, I don't know if CJ Anderson is necessarily going to repeat what he did last week. I, I would much more forecast a, a good game from Goff, a good game for his receivers, just because the Niners are so bad in that phase of the game. Um, getting back to the Packers, uh, you mentioned how you like Devontae Adams, and I think that that's a, a, a good call. But if Randall Cobb sits, which of the cheaper Packers receiving options would you be most likely to throw a, a dart at? God, that's a good question because it's just been such a mixed bag with those guys all season. I think I would probably – gosh, this is tough. I'd probably take a shot on Kumarau again. You know, Kumarau had the long touchdown last week, and 
It's uh, he appears to be the the soup du jour for Aaron Rodgers outside of Devontae Adams. So I think I would probably throw a dart at him. Yeah, I like that call. And, and the the nice thing about that situation is I feel like you can, like you said, because it's been such a mixed bag, you can pick any one of them and feel okay about it. Like if you're running three different lineups and you want that type of piece in those lineups, you could play one with Kumaro, one with Valdez Scantling, and one with Equinemius St. Brown. And, you know, chances are one of those guys is going to have a decent game in that particular matchup. But I, I don't know. I, I agree with you that Adams is probably the, the easy play. Now, getting back to Matt Ryan, I, I think that there are some concerns here because he's not always that great on the road. And this is the end of a lost season for the Falcons. I, I'm just a little concerned that the motivation won't be there for the Falcons this week. With that in mind, I think this is an interesting place to consider Brian Hill, uh, the backup running back there, if Tevin Coleman is ruled out. So kind of keep that one in the back of your mind uh, on Sunday when the inactives are announced. If it looks like Coleman isn't going to play, I think Brian Hill uh, is going to be very cheap and uh, very uh, live in that particular matchup. Let's get down to the next uh, group of QBs that I've got here. And Josh, feel free to branch out deeper if you want to, you know, compare certain guys to other players that, that I haven't brought up yet. But at 6,100, I'm going to bring up Russell Wilson, home against Arizona, uh, Jameis Winston, home against Atlanta. And then at 6,000, we have Tom Brady, home against the Jets, and Josh Allen, home against the Miami Dolphins. So all four of these guys are affordable. All four of these guys are playing at home, which we like for our QBs. And with Wilson, they're locked into either the five or the six seed, but I think there's real incentive for them to go out and try and win because I imagine they would rather get the, they would rather face the four seed Cowboys than the three seed Bears or Rams because, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, I think the Cowboys are worse teams than, are a worse team than the Bears or the Rams. So can we assume that Pete Carroll feels the same way? Do you think we can trust Russell Wilson in our week 17 lineups? I, yeah, I think you can trust him. I, I don't know. I don't know any reason why they wouldn't play him the full 60 in this game. Uh, I agree with you that Dallas is not quite the team that the Rams are or the Bears are. But I will say this, that uh, Pete Carroll's not scared of the L.A. Rams. I mean, they've they've come close to beating them twice this season. I don't think he would have any reservations whatsoever about going to L.A. to play a game against them if that's just how the cards lay. I don't think he would have any issue going to Chicago and playing the Bears either. So, you know, so far as if he's trying to dodge people I, I by winning a game, I, I think he's going to try to play to win the game anyway. Is he doing it to dodge an opponent? I don't necessarily think so because Dallas has been pretty good at home just as much as Chicago's been good at home or the Rams have been good at home. So I don't, I don't know if there's much of an advantage there. I do think that from a matchup perspective, though, Dallas is a much better matchup for Seattle than the other two teams. So I, I do think there is incentive for them to win the game. I like Russell Wilson a lot this week because of that. Do you think that there's any risk of them not needing Wilson's heroics because of the opponent here going against Arizona? I mean, could this be just another big rushing effort from the Seahawks? Is it time to fire up maybe Mike Davis or Rashad Penny in tournaments? Like, do How deep do we want to go here on the the game flow uh, narratives with the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think I would be okay with using Mike Davis. Uh, I don't know if I would go as deep as Rashad Penny just because I don't know the role's not very well defined for me. And I hate chasing undefined roles. Uh, in even in turn up tournament lineups, it's just not, it's not something I do. So yeah, I'm Chris Carson all aboard. I love that play. 
Uh, you know, Russell Wilson, I think you have to be very cautious. I mean, while I love the play this week, I think you have to be cautious about the potential that they could just run the ball 50 times and go home, at, at which point Wilson's ceiling is is heavily capped. Mike Davis, I think Mike Davis is only going to be in play uh, if they decide to give Chris Carson a little bit of a rest during this game or if it's competitive. If it's competitive and, and Seattle finds they need to throw the ball a lot and they're throwing to the running back, then I think Mike Davis is certainly a guy worth looking at as a tournament play, You know, very low percentage tournament play, but someone you could put in a few lineups. Um, otherwise, I don't think I'm going to go much deeper than that. Yeah, I might look at David Moore a little bit as a very – kind of a low exposure tournament play. Certainly Doug Baldwin, I think, is worth a look anytime you think that that, that uh, Seattle's going to throw the ball around, as well as Tyler Lockett. But otherwise, I, I think I would avoid the passing options outside of Wilson in this game and probably just look at the running the running backs. Yeah, Chris Carson is only 6,500, and that's pretty affordable uh, for what could be a workhorse running back in a very favorable rushing matchup. So I think that you're spot on there with him being the primary play, but I am intrigued by the possibility that one of those backups gets into uh, you know a little bit more game action. And I agree that Mike Davis is probably the guy because Penny is you know returning from injury still. Um, looking at the other QBs in this range, who posts a better points per dollar this week, Jameis Winston or his backup, uh, who the Buccaneers have said is going to get time, or Ryan Griffin? Oh man, um, nah, I got to scroll down here and see where Griffin is. Griffin's probably what four K. Uh, I believe that's correct. If not, he's like 4,200 or something like that. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm scrolling down my list here. I don't even see him, so it looks like... He's at, <laughs> at 4K. Least, yep. Yeah. Confirmed. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. I'm, I'm Thank you for looking for me because I'm looking on I'm looking on the Roto-Grinders lineup tool and he has been excluded automatically <laughs> under the assumption that you know he's not going to play. So, man, that's a good question. I think I would probably side with Jameis Winston if he plays as better point per dollar. I just Ryan Griffin is an unknown quantity. I can't imagine he's very good. Or at some point this season, they would have turned to him instead of going back to Winston or back to Fitzpatrick again. So I, given given what I know from that information, I think I would probably go with Winston over uh, Griffin. Yeah, it's, it's a silly parlor game. We can't use Ryan Griffin in DFS. We can consider Jameis Winston. And, you know, if we knew he was going to start this whole game against Atlanta, like – this would be a great spot to use him, but I do have some concerns that if he does eventually seed work to Griffin, that that could impact his ceiling. But that's kind of a risk with all these quarterbacks, as I you know mentioned earlier. Now, uh, moving on here, sell me on Josh Allen, and and yes, I still need to be sold because I, I just when I watch him play, I just don't see it. I, I see the rushing production, and I see those rushing touchdowns kind of propping up his value. I just don't know how sustainable that is. Uh, are you in on Josh Allen? Do you want to try to convince me to? you know, soften my stance on him at all? Uh, no, I'm not going to, I don't want to convince you to soften your stance on him. I think you and I are in lockstep in our assessment of him this week against Miami though. I really like him as a tournament play because I, I, Miami's their defense isn't that good. They give up a lot of rushing production. What does Josh Allen do? Well, well, he's a crazy leg running back that gets to throw a few passes a game. So if we look at it from that perspective, you know, I, I feel like Buffalo is still trying to win games. They don't look like they've thrown in the towel. Uh, Josh Allen is certainly going to go out and do everything he can to be productive and get in the good graces of the fans of Buffalo. Uh, to me, it makes a lot of sense to to potentially you know throw him in a few lineups because he could put up a thirty burger potentially. You know, he could run for one hundred and fifty yards and two touchdowns. We don't, we just don't know. But he's got that ceiling. We've seen the ceiling a few times already this season, and I, he's a great way to differentiate from these other passers that 
we think will be in these traditional, you know, game scripts where they get to throw the ball around, but maybe not, you know, have the floor that Josh Allen has. Yeah, my worry is that Miami tends to slow down the pace of games, and that's reflected in Buffalo's implied total. It's it's just a minuscule 21.5 points. Is this one of those situations where you're actively targeting Allen because of that? You want to be contrarian relative to those expectations that are set by the Vegas lines? I I don't say I would actively target him. If he happens to fit in a build at his price range, and I don't want to play some of the chalkier players like you know that, that we'll talk about in a few minutes. I think he's a great alternative. Like he's a good contrarian play. Yeah, Miami slows the game down, but you know, and, and yeah, the game total is only thirty-eight points. But Josh Allen is like he's the offense for the Buffalo Bills. Like if they're going to score twenty-one points, they're all going to run through him, right? I mean, it's there's really no other alternative in my opinion that other than him getting the scores whether it be with his arm or with his legs. So even in even in that scenario, I don't have an issue playing Josh Allen, even if I think that the game is going to be very capped from a scoring perspective. What about Tom Brady at the exact same price? Is he a guy you're looking at this week? Because the Patriots don't have a ton to play for. I mean, I think that they need to win to have any shot at the one seed, but I think they have the two seed locked. Oh no, I'm wrong. Excuse me. They have to win to clinch the two seed. So, yeah, maybe maybe Brady is an interesting option here. Um, what are you doing with him in DFS? I'm avoiding him altogether. I don't see the ceiling on Brady the way I used to see the ceiling on Brady. You know, Brady had an opportunity last week for a ceiling game, and he did nothing with it because they, I guess, the you know New England kind of opted out of playing modern offense and they just ran the ball and killed the clock and got out of there with the win. He had an opportunity for a ceiling game against Pittsburgh and production just wasn't there. I mean, it's just, they're not throwing the ball as efficiently or productively as they have in years past. And I don't know how anybody can get around that. Uh, even at this point in the season, if they need the win, if they're playing, you know, what we consider is a bad pass defense in the New York jets, I think the jets still present some problems for new England, you know, because they are familiar from being in the same division. I think they, probably understand what new england tries to do offensively more or as much as any other team in the nfl they're going to pose some problems for for the patriots so i i don't know i just i'm kind of like full fade on brady this week i don't like it at all yeah see i think this might be a good spot to use them because i think relative to those last two matchups you talked about buffalo and pittsburgh the jets are a much softer defense and i i'm with you and that defense doesn't generally matter that much but because people are going to be off of him that's why i'm interested and there is the risk that they just go heavy on the run game again i, I think that sony michelle is an interesting play here because he's very affordable um he doesn't catch a lot of passes but he has multi-touchdown upside in this offense against the jets uh but i, I don't know I, I think i'd like what i've seen from the jets recently i think that they're going to be able to push the patriots to keep throwing and and keep running up the score and i think because people are going to be off brady he's intriguing to me i, I don't know if i'll be actively using him a lot more than other quarterbacks here but i i don't want to rule him out altogether and you know based upon my dislike of josh allen you know the quarterback i i would rather play brady at that price point with that said there are a lot of guys who are at a cheaper price point here that are equally intriguing to me. And maybe this is the reason to fade Brady and to fade J Allen and to fade whoever else who we've already talked about at higher cost, because at uh, 59, we have Nick Foles on the road at Washington. We have Dak Prescott at 58 against the Giants. He's on the road, but this is another game where based upon Dallas's locked in playoff seed, 
I don't think we're going to see much of Dak Prescott. So if he is ruled out or is only playing one or two series, it's going to be the Cooper Rush show, and we'll talk about and we'll talk more about him later. Um, at fifty seven k, we have Mitchell Trubisky, or I guess I should say five point seven k. I don't. I don't talk about DFS much, Josh. What's the preferred nomenclature uh, for talking about these salaries? Can you hit me with that real quick? Yeah, I, I don't know if there is a preferred nomenclature, but I usually just use the you know like fifty seven hundred. That's pro- that's typically how I would say it. All right, I like. But you it. could say five point seven k just as easily. So I, to me, it does it. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. Um, but no, we can't do that. We're right in the middle of the show. Uh, at fifty six hundred, we have Lamar Jackson home for Cleveland, and we have Kirk Cousins at fifty five hundred home for Chicago. There's a lot to unpack with these quarterbacks in these particular matchups. So just at a base level, which one of these QBs do you think offers the highest ceiling? God, that's a good question. It's probably it's probably Foles, to be honest. I think Foles probably offers the most upside. The Bears do have a lot to play for, and they're, pay, they're playing a, I think is a pretty salty defense, but one that I feel like they can probably pass the ball on with, I don't want to say relative ease, but, you know, I, I think they'll be able to move the ball as much as they want. So I, I don't mind Mitchell Trubisky. You know, his legs certainly offer some upside. You know, Lamar Jackson against Cleveland, I think Cleveland's going to be playing all out in this game. Uh, I think they're going to try to knock Baltimore out of the playoffs. And I, I re- this is probably the matchup I like best of the entire week, to be honest. I think it, it has the potential to be the highest scoring. I think it's going to be probably – the best matchup for two quarterbacks facing each other and on the entire slate. So Lamar Jackson, I think his floor is, is fascinating, especially given the fact that Cleveland rushes more players per snap than any other defense in the league. I mean, they're right up there. I think they're like five and a half, five point six 5.6 players rushing the pocket per snap, which is it's, it's a order of magnitude higher than any other defense in the league. And that kind of plays into Lamar Jackson's hand. So it's, um, I really like Lamar Jackson out of this set. I might actually go with him over Nick Foles. And Cousins, yeah, I mean, the, the, God, man, the Vikings are playing for their lives, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they they have to win this game. But I'm a little concerned that they're going to try to be a little bit more conservative, especially given that Mike Zimmer is the head coach, and he tends to be a little more conservative from just his nature. I, I have a feeling that Minnesota may try to run the ball a lot more than they have in the past and try to keep this game closer and, you know, maybe try to, to land a knockout blow late in the game that, that puts, to, you know, that puts them ahead of Chicago for good and, you know, limit the passing, you know, limit the exposure of Kirk Cousins to throwing interceptions to turning the ball over. So these are all four very intriguing plays this week. All of them, you can make a case where one could hit 35 points and you can make a case where they all score 10 points. And I think of the bunch, Lamar Jackson is the most promising to me. Yeah, I mean, at least with Jackson, you get that really, really safe floor. He's a floor guy in the first place. And I'm a little reluctant to go all in on him because I feel like that floor would come with more of a ceiling if Baltimore was still playing at a Flacco under center pace, but they're not. Um, I saw a tweet from Evan Silva earlier today that teams facing the Ravens are averaging almost 11 fewer offensive plays per game than their season average since Lamar Jackson took over six weeks ago. And that does exclude uh, the week 14 game that the Ravens played that went into overtime. So if you know the opponents are running fewer plays, that's because Baltimore is focused more on controlling the clock and extending drives rather than you know trying to put up as many points as possible. And I have defensive or matchup-related concerns with Cousins uh, as well. Um, his ceiling seems like it's going to be capped playing against Chicago. 
but the Bears can afford to take things a little easier than normal in this matchup because they are likely stuck in the NFC's three seed, even if they win. So I think that Cousins is intriguing if the Bears don't come out firing on all cylinders. I do think that going after Foles against Washington is a little point chasey, and I'm a little worried that it's easier to run on Washington than, than to throw, but Foles has been playing so well. I I don't know. I think it's hard to completely fade him. Uh, Trubisky, man, he, he's just a hard attack waiting to happen in fantasy. But like you said, that combo of passing and rushing production, that makes him really appealing. My major concern with Trubisky is that he'll be playing against a highly motivated Vikings defense. And you talked about maybe the Vikings running a different sort of game plan, a more conservative game plan to try to land that knockout blow. I think that knockout blow they're looking for might be on defense where they force Trubisky into a mistake and win the game that way. So I think that Trubisky is probably the guy I'm worried about the most, um, despite all my concerns about all these guys. I I think that, like you, I I lean towards Foles and Jackson. In general, who do you think is going to win that game between the Bears and the Vikings? Because the Vikings need it more. It's just a a strange game from that perspective because it's a a divisional matchup and both teams are effectively playing for something. Uh, It's just that the Vikings are are playing for more, essentially. Yeah, I I mean, I I think the Vikings probably win this game. I do think it'll be a close game. You know, it'd be like, to me, it's going to be like a 19 to 16 type game. Lots of field goals, not many touchdowns. And, you know, I think there's a high probability that there's a lot of turnovers in this game, too, just based on the quarterbacks and the pressure both of these defenses can generate. But I, I think I like Minnesota to win this to win this game. They're playing at home and man, they are a tough team to beat at home. Yep, I'm with you there. Now, uh, let's dive a little bit deeper. There are no quarterbacks at 5,400, so this is a a pretty drastic tier shift, as much as a $200 difference can be considered a tier shift. But at 5,300, we have Baker Mayfield on the road at Baltimore. You talked about how you like that matchup, and we have Teddy Bridgewater at home against Carolina, likely playing you know behind Drew Brees, uh, but I I think that Bridgewater is going to play most of that game. Then at 5,200, we have Sam Darnold uh, at New England, and Matthew Stafford at Green Bay. Is it Bridgewater season? It, it feels like they might be preying on our excitement a little bit uh, with this price to, you know, our excitement to finally use him in DFS. Uh, what do you think here? Uh, is, is Bridgewater startable in this matchup? I, if we get word that he is going to play the full game, then yes, I think he is certainly playable this week. I, I, I actually like him because I feel like if they're going to play him, they're probably going to cut him loose and let him throw the ball 30 times. Because it, you know, if, if they're going to rest Breeze, it makes sense for them to also rest Michael Thomas and to also rest Alvin Kamara, and you know, play some of the play some of the lesser players on the roster. You know, you get your Traquan Smith, your Keith Kirkwoods, your Austin Cars, your Sam Dar- uh, your Sam Arnolds. Those players getting more exposure on the field. I think they're going to let Bridgewater throw. So I like him at 5,300. I'm not scared of the Carolina defense whatsoever. Uh, they're especially weak against the tight end. So I think you could certainly look at putting him with uh, like a Josh Hill or a, uh, a Sam Arnold uh, as a just kind of a mini game stack there and roll with that as a tournament play. Yeah. So so with that in mind, are those tight ends the players that you would most confidently use from the Saints? Because like you said, they're, they're likely to rest their other starters in addition to Breeze. Do any of those wide receivers intrigue you? Uh, are, are we... Do we need to consider Dwayne Washington? I think I think that's who it is. Dwayne Washington behind Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara at running back. Like, is this? Or am I going too far off the deep end with these considerations? I think it's probably a bit deep because there there are. It's tough to predict the volume for any of these guys. Now, would I play Keith Kirkwood 
With Teddy Bridgewater, yeah, absolutely, because that's a guy that Bridgewater's probably thrown to the entire season on the scout team. So I, I like Keith Kirkwood in this spot. Would I play him with Austin Carr? If I think that Austin Carr is going to get significant run, yeah, I'd play him with Austin Carr because, again, this is a player that he has familiarity with from practice that he's going to look for in, in live fire situations in the games. Uh, and then, you know, you mentioned earlier Teddy Ginn. So if, if, if we think Teddy Ginn is going to play and, and play the entire game with Bridgewater, uh, why wouldn't you stack those two guys in a tournament lineup? I think that's a solid play, too. you got Teddy to Teddy. So I'd like any of those plays really as a stack. I probably wouldn't go with more than one player in a stack with Bridgewater. Like I wouldn't try to run a New Orleans onslaught or anything like that. But if I want to use Bridgewater, I think it does make some sense to stack him with one of the receivers, probably Kirkwood, and and not use any of the running backs whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's just really difficult to know not only which players Bridgewater will have a preference towards targeting, but which of those players are actually going to play significant snaps and what the game plan for New Orleans is going to be like in this particular spot where they don't really need to win and all they're really do, trying to do is get a look at guys. So I, I'm probably going to avoid this offense altogether. Like you said, if Bridgewater is you know deemed the starter, I think that he's an interesting option. I, I might not stack him with anybody, though, if I'm putting him into a lineup. Now, what if we have to weigh him specifically against Baker Mayfield at the same price? We talked about how the Ravens have that pace-slowing effect with Lamar Jackson and I think that hurts Mayfield in, in what is already a pretty tough matchup against a, a stout Baltimore defense. If Bridgewater is named the starter, would you rather use him or Mayfield at 5,300? I'm using Mayfield 100% of the time because I, it's just uh, Cleveland is, while they're out of everything, they're playing for something. And, you know, Baker Mayfield to me is the type of player that he could be playing over a wooden nickel and he's going to give you his best. And it doesn't matter what the matchup is. I, f- I feel like Baker Mayfield is the type of quarterback that can that can win a tough matchup, that can make that work because he throws – the way he throws his passes is different than, I would say, 90% of the quarterbacks in the NFL in that he throws with such anticipation that oftentimes it doesn't matter what the defense is doing because the ball is there before the defense can react to anything. And for him to be in this kind of this bloodbath – battle for his life against uh, Baltimore this week. I mean, that's really intriguing to me. And I can, I've already sold myself on the sexy idea of Baker Mayfield, you know, going out on top in the 2018 season after throwing four touchdowns and and 320 yards against the Baltimore Ravens to knock them out of the playoffs. Yeah, that'd be a pretty cool story. Now, what about the guy who was drafted behind Mayfield at the quarterback position, Sam Darnold? Doesn't it feel like they're kind of begging us to chase points with him at this price? Only 5,200? I don't think so. You know, I... It, it, it is a bit point chasey. I think they're going to play on the idea that New England has this tough defense, that maybe the weapons around Sam Darnold aren't that good. Uh, they are playing on the road at New England. I think that to me is not a, a scary proposition in and of itself playing at New England. I think Darnold's a great play this week. It, there's nothing about playing him that scares me. And, and I'll say that because, you know, the Jets coaching staff, they're coaching for their jobs. At this point, and it may be a foregone conclusion that these guys are fired, but I think the probably the thinking in that locker room is that if they can show significant turnaround, you know, maybe the last three or four games of the season, that this thing is the arrow is pointing way up at this point, uh, they're going to have to score a lot of points to do that. They're going to have to beat New England to even give that perception to ownership that, hey, we're the right guys for the job, we can stick around. I like Darnold this week. I think he's a great play. You know, I think if you play him, you got to stick him with Robbie Anderson again. It's just those guys have been working so well together the last few weeks. 
that it's very difficult to fade that matchup, to, to fade that stack if you're going to play Darnold. Yeah, I think you got to put Robbie Anderson with him. Yeah, I, I like that play too, and I also like stacking him with Chris Herndon. But I think the fact that I, I look at this price and I look at the matchup and there is nothing to worry about, that's what worries me. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I, I feel that at some point DraftKings is is operating like a you know a sports book would be, right? They're trying to play against our perceptions to some extent with these prices and if someone out there is buying into that, if someone is saying, "Oh, th- this this Darnold price is a trap, and I need and I want to fade him," do you think there's any leverage we can find with a different quarterback or maybe a player at a different position? Like, do you think maybe this is a good week to pivot towards Elijah McGuire or um, or pivot to Brady on the other side of the matchup? Like, if you're fading a player like Darnold, how do you factor that into your other plays? If that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, if 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 I think the Jets are a good offense to chase and I'm going to fade Darnold, then I, I need to – you're kind of hedging against the idea that either Darnold's going to score a bunch of points and you need to have some piece of that or that they're going to do something completely different to win that game. So, all right, so if they do something completely different, they run the ball 40 times and they and they beat New England. Well, then you got to have Elijah McGuire because that's going to be the conduit for that game script to happen. But I can't see that happening. Can you? No, absolutely not. No, and I that's think why gonna... we like Darnold, right? I mean, I, I, it's fun to dance around this stuff, but ultimately we kind of have to, you know, put our finger down or our foot down and say, look, like they're not going to win like that. And if they are playing for their jobs on that coaching staff, then Darnold's going to have to throw. And and it's it's as simple as that, isn't it? Uh, yeah, to me it is. I mean, the, you, the the coaching staff and and the organization in general is not going to inspire confidence about their number you know their number one highly ranked quarterback that they picked that they traded up for and gave up two or three second round picks to acquire by running the ball 40 times in the last game of the season yep absolutely it's 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 incongruent now how about Stafford because his splits at Lambeau actually paint a a pretty picture um I but I just don't know if we can trust him to do that to put up that sort of production with this iteration of the Lions offense like but still, I, I kind of like Stafford this week, assuming Kenny D- Galladay plays, if only because I don't think anybody else is going to be on Stafford. But when I find myself steering into contrarianism for the sake of contrarianism, I often get into trouble. It, it goes back to that note I had at the top of the show about finding the best possible lineups, kind of regardless of cost or ownership. Am I am I getting too cute by looking at the splits with Stafford, looking at you know my assumed ownership projection and saying, oh, this is a play I like, or or do you think there's something there? I think this is getting too cute, saying that I can play Matt Stafford and win, just because it, it, Detroit's just been such a slow-paced offense, and they just they look bad all season. They just everything is just you know discombobulated and herky jerky, and it's just it's just a bad team to watch. They don't have any sort of rhythm about them, and they look sloppy. And it's just it's it's really hard to play a quarterback when the entire team looks this way. You know, I, it's just it, to me it's much easier to to put Kenny Galladay in your lineup and his 15 targets and say, that's enough access to Matthew Stafford. If he blows up, I've got the best possibility of the guy that's going to get the lion's share of that blow up. And then you move on because Kenny Galladay 6,600 this week. It's uh, to me, he's, he's very reasonably priced for the productivity you can get. And if you like, if you think the, that the, the lions are going to put up 40 points somehow at, at Lambeau field, then you know, Galladay is going to be the best way to get a chunk of that offense, in my opinion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's just to pivot away from Stafford and play Galladay. Now, the next quarterback in DraftKings pricing is Derek Carr on the road at Kansas City at 5,100. 
we're starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel at this point, but I think Carr could be popular kind of based upon the projected pass volume at an affordable price, right? He's going to be chasing points in Kansas City, most likely. Are you buying or selling Carr in this particular matchup? I think I sell it. And I, I, like I, I, I don't disagree with the idea that he's going to be chasing points. But what I disagree with is the ceiling that you would think comes along with that. I just don't see yeah. the ceiling there for him. I don't think that they have the weapons to for him to hit that, you know, that zenith that he needs to hit in order to really set you over the top. Like, you know, he's 5,100. He is pretty cheap. And if he gets you 25 DraftKings points, then, you know, you'd call that a resounding win. If he gets you to 20, you'd be really happy with that. It's just, you know, what's the probability that he gets to 20 DraftKings points? I just don't think it's that high. I think you maybe have a, you know, a 20% chance of him getting to 20. Like you got like a, maybe a 10% chance of him getting to 25 and then 5% chance of him getting to 30. It's just, it's such a low probability ceiling outcome that it's very difficult to use him with a lot of confidence, except maybe in just a small sliver of your lineups. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if you're trying to chase that angle with high volume for the Raiders, I think the way to do it is to just pay up for Mahomes and game stack with one or two of Carr's receivers. I think that's probably the better way to go about it. Um, a little bit further down, there's there's nobody really we can use at, at 5K. Uh, Carson Wentz is there. Ryan Fitzpatrick is there. But at 4,900, we have Eli Manning at home against Dallas. And Dallas, again, has nothing to play for. And then we have, at 4,800, Josh Johnson home for the Eagles, whose past defense has been suspect at times this season. And Case Keenum at home against the Chargers. Now, I don't really want anything to do with Keenum, but... Uh, what do you think about Manning and Josh Johnson here? Like, how much do you think Manning's upside is capped with Odell Beckham likely to be out in another game? I mean, this should be the Saquon Barkley show, right? I absolutely think it's a Saquon Barkley show. They're going to try to get that kid the offensive rookie of the year. So, will Barkley see 15 targets? I think that's highly likely. So, I, I think, and from that perspective, I think Eli Manning is playable. If, if Dallas is going to roll over and play dead in this game. There's no doubt about it. Like they, they don't traditionally even try in these week 17 games when they have a playoff spot locked up. So you're going to see a ton of backups in this game. You may not see very many starters play past, let's say, the first two series. And if that's the case, and I, I feel like Eli Manning is going to be able to operate at will, like, uh, and he, he should be able to do as he pleases. Like it's going to look like Eli Manning from maybe five or six years ago when he was a, a borderline mediocre quarterback in, you know, he could get you 30 DraftKings points with a performance. I think this is the kind of Eli Manning ceiling we could look for this week. You know, the Giants could go and win this game 38 to 3. Yeah, I see that. that I'm, to me, that's a very reasonable outcome for a game like this. If Dallas does what I think they will do, if that's the case, Eli Manning's an awesome play at 4,900. Awesome play. You pair him up with Saquon Barkley. You might even put Sterling Shepard in a lineup with him or Evan Ingram. And I, I think that's the type of probably tournament winning stack that you would that you would want to have this week that's i think it's going to be a little bit contrarian because for the most part nobody's going to be stacking giants and you know it's going to be cheap it's going to be super cheap stack yeah i like it for that reason too and, and like you said the ceiling is there because he can pass it to barkley just as easily as he can hand it off to barkley i don't see that ceiling with josh johnson do you have any interest in using him at all no none whatsoever 
All right, well, let's keep going. Uh, at 4,700, we have Nick Mullins on the road at the Rams. We have Taysom Hill home against Carolina, you know, backing up Bridgewater slash Breeze. And we have uh, Joe Flacco, who cares? Uh, at 4,600, we have Jeff Driscoll at Pittsburgh. We have Ryan Tannehill at Buffalo. I don't think we want to use any of these guys, uh, but have you ever been tempted to play Taysom Hill in DFS this season? Like, at any point, have you thought, maybe, just maybe, this is the week? I've used him in showdown a couple of times as a very cheap filler. In those cases, if he if he ran the ball for positive yardage, <laughs> if he completed a pass, I mean, you were doing cartwheels because that's all you really needed out of him was some positive points at his price at his price point that week in showdown. Otherwise, I, I, I'm very interested in Nick Mullins. Very interested in Nick Mullins this week because yeah. I think there's there are a lot of garbage time yardage to be had in this game. And we've seen Mullins already just totally fill up a stat sheet in C- against Seattle uh, in the same kind of situation where they're behind and just slinging it to catch up. And I think that's going to be the same kind of kind of script this week against the Rams. And, you know, that, there's still a potential that the Rams might start pulling guys late in the game based on what's happening, you know, on the other side of the league in that matchup against uh, the Bears and, and the Vikings, that they may start resting some guys middle of the game. If that's the case, then I like Mullins even more. Yeah, I totally agree. Mullins is the only guy in this 4,700 to 4,600 range you can consider, and I do kind of like him. I think that he's a nice kind of pivot off of Manning. Like, if you think that that New York-Dallas game is going to turn out with Barkley just getting a lot of carries and Eli Manning, you know, not hitting that ceiling that he may have, I I think Mullins actually has more of a built-in ceiling, if only because he's going to have to throw a lot, and He'll also be an easy guy to stack with the weapons on his team. Uh, George Kittle comes to mind, and I'll have more on Kittle later, but um, totally agree. I'm I'm intrigued by Mullins, especially considering the price. Uh, let's dig a little bit deeper here. At 4,500, we have Cooper Rush uh, backing up Dak Prescott. And then at 4,400, we have Blake Bortles, uh, renamed the starter at Houston, and Josh Rosen on the road at Seattle. Who's the better play between those 4,400 guys uh, for you, Rush or Bortles? Bortles. 100% Bortles. Yep, totally agree. Um, which Cowboys weapons do you expect are going to see the most usage? Because uh, we talked about how they're probably going to bench some guys or, or rest some guys. Do any of those you know, backup Cowboy playmakers have room for DFS viability in Week 17? Um, I think you might look at a player like Noah Brown. And he's he's pretty deep at wide receiver. But if you're going to, I mean, if you're going to play a, Cowboy, a Cowboys player, Noah Brown's probably, you know, min price $3,000. You might look at him. Uh, I, I want to say Michael Gallup, but I don't know what they're going to do with Michael Gallup if they pull Amari Cooper. He's kind of a starter at this point, right? I, I don't know if they can afford to risk injury to him. Yeah, it, I, I, I kind of agree with that. Like he's he's the kind of the beta receiver there, so I don't know if I would play him. I might look at the tight ends even more. I might look at uh, Blake Jarwin, or I might look at Dalton Schultz. But again, these guys are such they, – they have zero floor and – the ceiling for them, I think, is is still relatively capped based on Cooper Rush that I just I don't think you can use any Dallas players this week. Bottom line. Yep, I, I agree. And we can't use Rosen either at Seattle, right? No, not touching him. Okay. And I, the other players below that point in salary, forty three hundred and below, uh, they're basically all backup QBs who might see some late game action if you know the starters get benched or rested. Uh the one starter we have below 4,400 is Kyle Allen, uh, the Panthers quarterback. I guess, what are we on, our, our third or fourth string there at this point? He's on the road at New Orleans. Do you have any interest in any of these uh, bargain basement backup types? 
Uh, or do you have any interest in Kyle Allen, who, uh, you know, at one point was the top high school recruit at quarterback, but definitely didn't enter the league with that sort of fanfare. But I, I mean, against New Orleans, he's going to have to throw. Uh, I, I'm just worried that Carolina doesn't have enough to play for in general. Um, and that, you know, New Orleans, while they do have, you know, the one seed locked up and, and won't have to play their starters on defense either. Like, I just don't know if I can start a guy I've never seen before in Kyle Allen. Do any of these, you know, really cheap bargain basement types appeal to you at all? No. <laughs> Bottom line is no. Like I, I, I thought about Kyle Allen for a hot minute and then I thought better of that and said, you know what? I played Tyler Heineke last week or Taylor Heineke last week at, at 4K and he actually got me there. I mean, he got you 15 DraftKings points. You were happy to get that from Taylor Heineke. And but Kyle Allen, I don't see is the same type of athlete that that Taylor Heineke is. So I just I watched I watched Kyle Allen play two years in college at Texas A&M. And he to me, he's not the type of player that I can see stepping on a field of week 17 in the NFL and making a difference. So I will avoid him. Yep, fair enough. Now, that basically does it on the quarterback position for the DraftKings slate. Um, man, this has been a bit of a marathon. But to, to recap, Josh, who are your favorite QBs to target uh, this week on this slate, and who are your favorite QBs to fade? Yeah, so favorite QBs to target this week. Uh, you know, we talked about the guys at the top: Mahomes, Roethlisberger. I like them quite a bit. Uh, we did talk about Deshaun Watson. I think he's worth a play. I do like uh, Jared Goff quite a bit. Uh, we all kind of talked ourselves into Josh Allen. I like him. Uh, and then we talked about Lamar Jackson quite a bit. Uh, Baker Mayfield's probably my favorite play from a tournament tournament perspective this week. He's got the right price. And I think he's I think he's got the the right narrative to really hit the stratosphere this week. You know, we both like Sam Darnold quite a bit and uh, Eli Manning as well. So fades, uh, you know, the, the fades we we hit on quite a few fades like Philip Rivers. We both thought was was kind of worth a fade. I think he's just kind of there. You know, we definitely didn't want to play Jameis Winston. We don't you know, you kind of like Tom Brady. I don't care for Tom Brady all that much this week. Uh, I, I, I'm definitely off of Aaron Rodgers this week. I just don't think this is the right week for him. Nick Foles, I'm not crazy about. Mitchell Trubisky, I'm just kind of meh. And Kirk Cousins is kind of meh as well. I think he's highly volatile. And then, gosh, who else? Well, we took Matthew We talked Bat- about Carr being a guy that we would fade to based yeah, on. Based on his ceiling, I think you fade Carr. Matt Stafford, to me, is just that you can't even consider him at this point. Josh Johnson, don't want any part of that. Case Keenum, same thing. And, you know, then the quarterbacks below that at the at the mid fours and lower fours, other than Nick Mullins, I just don't think you can play any of these guys reliably. And so who would your favorite cash game quarterback be? It's probably going to be Mahomes this week. OK, I might go with Sam Darnold in that spot, but I don't feel super confident with that call. Give me one non quarterback cash play that you really like this week. Oh, gosh, man, I haven't done a ton of cash research this week, but I'm probably going to be looking at a player like Saquon Barkley. I think Barkley is an awesome play this week. And I think he's going to be super popular because everybody knows about the narrative surrounding him trying to get rookie of the year. So it's uh, to me, he seems like the, the slam dunk cash play this week. Yeah. I'm going to make kind of a similar call. And we talked about at the beginning of the show, paying up for running back and tight end because you can save so much at QB and wide receiver, but I'm definitely paying up for George Kittle this week. I think that he's really intriguing to stack with Mullins uh, because Dante Pettis is out. Marquise Goodwin is nicked up. And I think we can just pretty easily lock in double-digit targets for Kittle uh, in catch-up mode against the Rams. And kind of meanwhile, 
the weirdness of week 17 is going to allow us to save salary in other places. So I really don't want to skimp a tight end, which is fantasy's most volatile position. So I, I think you could apply this sort of call to Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz. But I think in general, I, I like Kittle as the tight end to pay up for because you do get a slight discount at 6300 relative to uh, those higher price guys. I think that uh, he's he's an intriguing option here just on his own. I, I think he's worth paying up for. Um, Josh, give me a non-QB GPP play that you really like this week. Oh, gosh. Uh, probably, you know, if I want to look at a GPP play this week that I think has got a, a chance to really hit, it's probably going to be a player like, gosh, I'm thinking really long and hard about this. I'm vamping a little bit because I'm struggling to come up with the right guy. Stretch it out, man. I'm going to stretch it out as much as I can. <laughs> well, how about I'll out. give you mine. I'm going to I'm going to touch on a guy I mentioned earlier, Brian Hill, the Atlanta running back. He is at Tampa Bay. He's only 3,900, so he's super cheap. I think he makes for an interesting correlation play with the Falcons' defense against Jameis Winston, who's a turnover king, and maybe some seasoning of, of Ryan Griffin in relief of Winston. So uh, if you want to go super deep at running back, I know I just talked about how you want to pay up for him, but you know the, the one concern is that maybe he'll be over-owned uh, if Tevin Coleman is ruled out. So uh, that's maybe I'm not doing myself a service here by calling out Brian Hill as a GPP play, but he's a guy I'm interested in regardless uh, just for the upside he presents and the potential correlation with that defense. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, you know, if, if I want to look at a tournament play this week that I really like, you know, I, I do like, um, I kind of like Mike Evans a little bit, even if they put uh, Ryan Griffin in the game, I feel like Ryan Griffin be kind of quarterback that would lock on to Evans. If they don't pull Evans out of the game, I don't see any reason why they would pull Evans so I like him. I still love Julio Jones. I think he's going to be worth paying up for this week. So if, I've, if I'm going to be contrarian and pay up, it's probably going to be at wide receiver this week and, and go for a guy like Julio Jones that personally he has a lot to play for. So I, I really like guys that, that are motivated and have something uh, that they're trying to squeeze out of the last week of the season. And speaking of wide receivers, we talked about how we both like Jared Goff in what could be a pass-happy matchup against the Niners. What do you think about Josh Reynolds at 4,600 against San Francisco? Do you think he would be a better play in cash or in GPPs? Because I think I might be playing him in both, to be honest. I think he's probably a better play. I think he's probably a better play in tournaments. Because I, you know, I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is, even though the Rams are trying to win this game, are they going to play Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks the entire time? If they are, then I don't know if you could do anything with Reynolds other than play him as a tournament play. Uh, if we have some information that says Reynolds is going to be, you know, playing more of the Woods role or playing more of the Cooks role, then I think you could elevate him to cash game viable. So I, I think his price is great this week. I just think I could find some options around him that have a little bit more sure footing from a volume standpoint. Yeah, I think that's that's probably right. That's probably what makes him a better GPP play. So that does it for the DFS portion of the show here. Now, one thing we wanted to touch on before we go, and, and you brought up this topic to me, um, and and I always appreciate when the guests you know offer some feedback or, or some you know ideas for uh, what we're going to talk about. Uh, you you mentioned best ball and kind of looking ahead to 2019 and forecasting who we expect to be overdrafted or underdrafted. And I, I haven't really thought about this a ton, but. Where does your head go when you start to think about best ball for next season? Do you have any thoughts on on players who you might want to target or avoid uh, based upon what we've seen this season? Yeah, I mean, the I think the one player I won't want to avoid is Patrick Mahomes because I, I have a feeling that based on this season, he's going to be a third-round pick in a lot of best ball leagues. He's going, he's going to be QB1. 
I don't think I, I don't think there's any other way around that. So usually QB one, that's the guy I avoid. And I, while he may, I mean, he may pay back that ADP just fine. It's just I have a hard time drafting that, and because I feel like I can find a quarterback in the eleventh round that can give me ninety percent of that performance at a huge discount. So you know, Mahomes number one, I'm going to avoid him. But uh, you know, similarly, a player that I'm hoping gets a discount going into next season is Aaron Rodgers because I feel like. He's due for this huge bounce back season next year, depending on who they bring in to, to coach that team that, you know, I really like him. I think he's going to be potentially underpriced a little bit. I think Drew Brees will be underpriced again based on the way he's kind of tapered down the season. And so I'm going to like him as a bylow candidate. Philip, Philip Rivers is always a bylow candidate. You know, if people continue to fade him into the 11th and 12th rounds. I think, you know, he's a player I'm going to look to to pick up on the cheap Matt Ryan. Again, I'll look to pick him up on the cheap because again, he's not that sexy name. So I try to think of more guys that are going to be overdrafted and outside of Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Can you think of any guys that are going to be potentially overdrafted outside of those two? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I never really want to be the first person or even like the eighth person to take a quarterback. So I'm definitely not the type of player to ask about Mahomes because I'm always going to be fading those guys. Uh, so I, I totally agree with you there. Uh, I think going deeper, like the guys I'm actively going to be targeting, like I'm trying to think of what the corollary would be to Mahomes this season. And it might just be Baker Mayfield, you know what I mean? And so it, maybe it'll all depend on, on this last game against Baltimore, like you talked about. If he goes out with a bang, right? If he goes out with multiple touchdowns, 300-plus yards against the Ravens and knocks them out of the playoffs, he might be overdrafted next year based upon that plus what he's already done this season. But if he goes out there and struggles and maybe people forget about him as the playoffs you know, play out, I think there's a, a, a case to be made that he's going to be pretty undervalued. I think that Cousins is really intriguing as well. But by all means, I am not a big Kirk Cousins believer. I think that he's more Matthew Stafford than he is Aaron Rodgers. I, I'm not a big fan. But with that said, because he's been disappointing, because a lot of his struggles have been based upon that offensive line in Minnesota, and because those sorts of problems can be corrected in the offseason, this isn't to say that they will be corrected. But if we see Minnesota address those issues and the fantasy community doesn't respond accordingly by you know continuing to draft Cousins in that you know QB8 to QB14 range, I think that he could be the type of value that Matt Ryan was this year or that Ben Roethlisberger was this year. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I 100% agree with you. I think Kirk Cousins is going to be a buy-low guy, potentially, especially in the early drafts where you have you know, relatively few players coming in. You know, it's, it's going to be the freshest information for us. I think it's going to be the best time to buy Kirk Cousins. You, know, you talked about Baker Mayfield. I think he's an interesting case for best ball because I do see the scenario where he's overdrafted because of the, the second half performance that he's had this year. And I think most people are going to assume that Cleveland's arrow is pointing way up and are trying, will try to project Baker Mayfield higher than realistically it should be because of that. So I think Baker Mayfield is, is potentially going to be overdrafted. I think we could say the same, maybe out of Darnold, you know, Josh Rosen's a guy I'm going to be looking to buy for cheap in like the last round of drafts again because they've got nowhere to go but up. And if I can get him as like a QB3 in a, uh, a late QB type draft where I start drafting QBs in like the 13th or 14th round, I, I, I kind of love the idea of that, of getting him there. So, you know, the rookie, com- quarter- the rookie quarterbacks coming into this season, into, into the 2019 season, I think they're very intriguing. It's going to be interesting to see how the market values them. I think Mayfield's going to be overvalued. I think the other guys, like, you know, it's Darnold, Rosen, Jackson, Allen. 
I think all of those guys will be undervalued a bit. Yeah, I think that's a great call on Rosen specifically because like Cousins, so much of his struggles can be tied to the offensive line there in Arizona. And again, that's a problem that can be fixed. Now, will they fix it? We don't know. We have to wait to see how that plays out. But I think that's a good call. What do you think is going to go on with Jimmy Garoppolo in drafts next year? Because he was severely overpriced this year just based upon the hype of being in that Kyle Shanahan offense. But I mean, look at what Kyle Shanahan did with Nick Mullins. Like, we, we see the upside. There's reason for that optimism with Garoppolo on this team. But with that said, because he missed so much of this year, do you think people are just going to rebuy back into that hype again in 2019? Or will we be able to get him at a little bit of a discount? Because if we can get him you know, behind some of these rookies and behind some of these other guys that we think are going to be overvalued, like that could be a real screaming value, right? I think it's potentially a screaming value. The I think the big question that's going to face us that early in the offseason is if Garoppolo gets his job back. <laughs> I mean, again, Nick- I think that drives his price down. I think that that's part of the appeal because, I, I mean, let's be real. Do you think he's really in, in jeopardy of losing his job to Nick Mullins? Because um, I don't. Like, I, I think that, that um, Garoppolo is the starter once he's healthy. Based on the on the contract they gave him, no. But do I think he's on a much shorter leash going into next season if, if Mullins remains with the 49ers? I think that's possible. I mean, don't you think that's possible based on what Mullins has done this season? So it's um, – I think the discount will be worth chasing. But I think that it's not one of those things you'd want to go heavy on and just load up on Garoppolo in every draft thinking that you're going to hit the nuts because I think that's a greater than zero possibility that Mullins is the starter next year when the season opens. Yeah, I, I don't – think that that's going to happen that's i'm I'm definitely fading that narrative uh in a big way now with that said i agree with your premise that you can't just go overweight on one quarterback from those middle tiers like if you did that with mahomes this year that would have worked for you but mahomes is a special kind of case like we saw in the preseason what he was capable of from a a big play perspective and you know specifically in that andy Reid offense with tyree kill with travis kelsey uh, there's that appeal right whereas mahomes i think like he was a player who I identified early in the preseason as an ideal best ball type of pick because of that high variance that he presents. Like even if he gives you some bad weeks, the good weeks that he gives you are probably going to be so good that he props up your team, right? I don't know if we're getting that from Garoppolo in the Shanahan offense. Like if their offense is that good, then I think that, you know, Matt Breda and Jarek McKinnon are probably the guys who, who you really want to be targeting in that offense. But yeah, long story short, I think Garoppolo is a guy I'm going to be interested in if he's discounted because of the Mullins hype, but he's definitely not a guy I want to go overweight with because just think about all the quarterbacks we've talked about here. It's not about which one you pick, it's about where you pick them. And I think that any of these guys can potentially be had at a value because they have to be ranked and picked in some sort of order. And at some point, like the biases of the fantasy hive mind in general are going to push certain guys down elevate certain guys and if they're elevating the guys that we anticipate then you know not only will garoppolo be a value but so will aaron Rodgers, and so will kirk cousins and so will some of these other players we've been talking about and you want a mixed bag of all those guys do you kind of agree with that premise that you want to kind of diversify at the quarterback position i think you have to i think that's the only way your best ball team survived a week 16 with a chance to win yeah, man, that, that, this has been super fun. I, I appreciate you bringing up uh, this I- idea of best ball. I hadn't really thought much about it, but it's it's fun to hash it out, uh, especially relative to to quarterback because, you know, best ball is a one QB format, but because of the way the format plays out, it really is like a two QB draft where you want to try to draft three guys for the most part 
And I guess that's a big question. Do you think that you'll be leaning more towards three quarterbacks versus two in your 2019 best ball drafts? Um, I think it's going to depend on when I pick my quarterbacks because I, I, I mixed it up this year. And I if I could get Drew Brees in the eighth round or later, I would pick him and then just take one other quarterback. And typically that was Jameis Winston if I didn't take a like a Mitchell Trubisky to pair with him. So if I if I do an early quarterback, for me early is eighth or ninth round based on elite quarterbacks that I feel have fallen into a certain point in the draft where I have to take them. Otherwise, I'm going to take three quarterbacks late and just, you know, I'll shotgun it and go for the most upside that I can get at the lowest price. Yeah, no, I, I think because my baseline strategy is to wait on quarterbacks in all formats and especially best ball, I'm going to end up with a lot more teams that have three QBs than two. I, I just think that naturally based upon the way I draft that that's going to be the optimal strategy for what I'm trying to do. Last thing before we go, Josh, give me a Super Bowl prediction. We, we kind of know what the playoffs are going to look like. Uh, who do you think is going to going to take it home? Who do you think is going to get there too? Oh man, you know the, the the interesting thing about this question is there's so there's a variety of styles out there. Yeah, for playoff teams right now. I mean, it's you go from brutal bruising teams like the Bears and the Ravens to you know these high flying offenses like you know the Rams and the and the Chiefs. And I I cannot help but come back to the idea that these outlier defenses will end up getting their offenses through the playoffs. So I, I feel like we have a very good possibility of seeing Baltimore and Chicago in a Super Bowl if Baltimore wins this weekend. I have, you know, I feel like we could very easily see, uh, you know, the Saints back in the Super Bowl. But I think my pick probably to win the thing is, uh, gosh, you know, all of these all of these elite teams, they have flaws right now, like big flaws. And it's it's hard to say you know, resoundingly that I think this is the team that's going to get through because with all of these flaws, you can, you can, you can create a a very simple path for them to lose in the playoffs. And when I see this, I'm thinking, golly, you know, it's just, I just don't see any way that these teams are going to win. But to me, the probably the most well-rounded team out there that, that could get through just based on, you know, sheer will, in my opinion, it's probably going to be the Saints. Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but I think the chalk of Saints versus Chiefs in the Super Bowl makes the most sense. I mean, we're talking about both of the likely one seeds here, so it's it's not like I'm, you know, giving a super hot take here. But I to- I totally agree that the Saints are probably the most well-rounded team. And on the other side, despite their flaws, I think that the Chiefs offer something that no other team can with that offense. Like they are so explosive and they can score so many points in so many different ways that. I think that that's a just an insane trump card to have over all the other flawed teams. It's just to say, like, yeah, our defense isn't great, but can you score 40? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I like them. And to me, this has been the year of Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to pick Kansas City to defeat New Orleans in the Super Bowl. That's that's what I'm going to run with. Like I said, not a, not a bold take or a hot take by any means, but that's just the way I see it playing out. I, I think that this kind of expresses or, or proves the type of fantasy player I am. I'm a very hedgy type of person. I'm, I'm a very play the percentages type of person. And that's just how I see the Super Bowl winding up. But um, I can't wait, man. The playoffs are going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. Let's get to it. Josh, thanks a lot for coming on, dude. This was a lot of fun. This is It's always fun to go deep with you on this stuff. It's happened before. We've had some marathon sessions in the past, and th- this lived up to those expectations. Uh, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? 
Uh, no, not really to plug. Just uh, if, if you're looking for my work, you can find my app work over at Fantasy Insiders. We have a pretty awesome player usage tool that tracks snaps, uh, statistics from a, a little bit different point of view than most sites, as well as quarterback pressures and uh, receiving from a alignment standpoint. So slot and flank and lineup as a running back or tight end. So we, we look at the at the numbers from a little bit different perspective. Those apps are in Fantasy Insiders. And then coming up this offseason during best ball draft season, you'll be able to find my work on both Fantasy Insiders and Roto Grinders. And yeah, those apps that you create for best ball leagues, uh, you, your MFL 10 ADP tracking stuff like is awesome. It's it's completely invaluable uh, when you are doing those best ball drafts to see what the public is actually doing in those drafts and trying to find angles to exploit. So uh, make sure to check that stuff out, listeners. Uh, you can follow Josh on Twitter at FantasyADHD. You can follow me at Greg Sauce, and you can follow 2QBs.com at 2QBs. And in all cases, you spell it out. It's T-W-O-Q-B-S. Uh, that's our email address as well, 2QBs at gmail.com. Please rate and review the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. Good luck in Week 17 DFS. I hope this episode was helpful to you. I think the podcast is going to be taking a break through the playoffs, but make sure to come back to 2QBs.com. I'll have the game Flobotics a spreadsheet for matchup analysis every week uh, of the fantasy playoffs for DFS purposes. Otherwise, uh, thanks for a great season. It's been a lot of fun kind of talking at you into this microphone in my little hobbit hole, my little recording den uh, in my house. Uh, I, I love it. This is a lot of fun for me, and um, I appreciate all of you who are listening. So um, until next time, I'm not sure when that'll be, but until then, uh, thanks again. Adios. Adios.